This is the Stoppage Time Podcast from WEGL 91.1, giving you the latest on all the big talking points from the Premier League and the Champions League. Hello and welcome to another episode of Stoppage Time. I'm your host, Chris Basinger, and joining me in the studio today is Andy Hewling. Andy, how was your weekend? Well, it was something. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about it later, but yeah, not really sure what I saw uh, down in Manchester, but it was something. Uh, do you have any exciting announcements, maybe a big change in your life or something that you want to share? I do, actually. So I got a job in Dothan, Alabama to be a news producer for WTVY. So if anyone knows uh, about Dothan or WTVY, I'm heading down there. Um, and yeah, um, really excited about the opportunity and looking forward to uh, starting my career off in a good little town in Alabama. Yeah, we're very excited for you. Everyone on the podcast is and looking forward to a uh, exciting career. Uh, and also joining us in the studio today, as per usual, Harrison Schooler. Harrison, how was your weekend? It was great. There was lots of football and Real Madrid, Manchester United walked away with some big wins. Yeah, some really big games that I'm sure we'll get into soon enough. Uh, David Ordway, unfortunately, is not joining us this week uh, as he has come down with a bad case of the Jose Blues. But um, tss, not really. He's he's sick, apparently. So, Chris, uh, what, what are the side effects of the Jose Blues? Side effects of Jose Blues? Hmm. Well, uh, first off, you... Depression. Be- crippling depression. Uh, you begin to take public transportation more often, specifically buses, uh, blaming things on everyone else, pushing people away, and just, you know, not being enjoyable. And I've also heard stating the obvious that bread is bread and cheese is cheese. Well, we'll get into that in a second, Andy. Uh, of course, the game that we're referencing, folks, is Manchester United 3, Tottenham Hotspur 1. Tottenham opened the scoring. Son scored in the 40th minute before Manchester United came back in the second half. Fred scored in the 57th, Cavani in the 79th, and Greenwood added just a little bit more padding in the 96th minute to score the third. Uh, Harrison Tottenham opened the scoring, but Manchester United did what they've done eight times before this season, and they got three points from a losing position. Yeah, it was again, it was a good response from the guys after they were denied an excellent goal. Um, the decision there is unfortunate, but we know how it is with VAR, you know, going back over these things in slow motion and putting referees in difficult positions. You get calls like that on occasion, but it was a great response. Son got his goal and found some space off a Lindelof mistake, and they just came back with a much better approach in the second half. I thought they were direct. I thought Paul Pogba, we saw the best of him for a good 45 minutes there. I mean, he was absolutely excellent. He completed six take-ons. He hasn't done that since 2016 against Southampton. He was all over the field. He started a bit wide on the left. He moved centrally as the game grew on, and he got more control, and Bruno was quiet, and that was okay because Pogba stepped up. I thought Luke Shaw was excellent. Rashford fighting through injury was was putting in a reasonable performance. Cavani was brilliant. Uh, there was a moment before the Cavani diving header that uh, he pointed out to Greenwood, just send the ball in for- further because he was taking too many touches. Or send the ball in sooner, excuse me. And he did. That early cross, boom, 2-1. I just thought they were really at it. And it was really just It was like watching what I'd seen for years. I mean, they got their goal, and it was like sit back. Let's hold on to this. They don't have the defenders for that, which is the 
the really difficult part is they know how to get the best out of their two attackers. You can look through the statistics and find that the goal involvements directly with Son and Kane is insane, but they don't know how to get the best out of their defenders. They don't put them in good situations because they can't be heavily reliant on guys like that. And I, I pointed this out to you guys in the group chat. When I saw that Sissoko was coming on, I was just thinking, there he is. That's the Mourinho we all know and love. He's really concerned because Pogba just made a driving run through the midfield, and he's like, we can't do this. We can't, let, we can't be beaten physically through the midfield. So he puts Sissoko out there to match the physical demands of the game instead of maybe having somebody like Lo who could play a penetrative pass, find dangerous positioning. He didn't look that great, but it was just typical Jose. Yeah, I was about to say, Lo came off for Sissoko shortly after Fred's equalizer, and then Lamella and Bale both came on after the Cavani goal. This was just too little too late for Mourinho, right? It always is. It always is. His substitutions are always late, and I just didn't see a way back for them. I absolutely did not. I thought United were on the front foot the entire time. I was I was largely unimpressed with their midfield. Like They were just getting overrun. Hoiberg didn't play his best performance, and Reguilon didn't exactly look too strong. I just thought United were, were the better team by far, and Cavani was really showing what it's like to have a proper number nine in a team. Yeah, Andy, what did you think of United's performance? Yeah, I thought they did good to come back, especially down that goal, because, you know, I mean, in the last game, they, you know, the wheels just fell off. So, you know, you kind of thought the game could go either way, even though Tottenham had taken the lead. And I thought, you know, possession, looking at, uh, I mean, it was 53-47 in United's favor, pretty even matchup. But I think, like Harrison said, United... Uh, were able to just you know get their goal, and then they got two more right after that, and I, I thought it was a good performance from them. But Tottenham, though, like I mean, I know we really alluded to how they set up uh, defensively, and yeah, I mean, I think yeah, uh, Jose just can't afford to keep sitting back like this. I know it's his style, but you know you can't just sit here for a whole game and expect to, you know, get a goal and hold on against a team like United that has attacking threats like Cavani and Rashford and Greenwood because, I mean, you're just going to – it's ultimately setting you up to be picked apart. And I think, you know, we're going to talk about it later, but I can see some of those uh, traits in how City played against Leeds where, you know, you're creating a lot of chances, but defensively just one second you can get caught out. And that seemed to be what happened with uh, Tottenham this weekend. Yeah, I'm looking at the timing chart right now, and it seems like both teams struggled to create a lot of chances early on in the game. And Tottenham scored their goal in the 40th. And in the, in the second half, you can see United's keeps going up while Tottenham's just keeps staying level. So that's exactly what Jose's going for, right? He just wants to keep it level, take their one goal, go home with it, get the three points. But that's just not working in his world. And we've seen his rotation in the back line. We see... Davidson Sanchez go out. Rodan's been coming in. Eric Dyer made his return today. Uh, maybe we'll be seeing him for England. Ha-ha, who knows? Uh, but there was, of course, a little bit of controversy uh, after the game between Ole. Before and, before we go into that, let right? me just let me just toss this out there real quick. Tottenham's record against the teams above them currently in the table is 11 games, 7 defeats, 2 draws, 2 wins. Mm-hmm. That's not good enough. And for context, the people above them are Liverpool, Chelsea, West Ham, Leicester, Manchester United, Manchester City. That's not. That's just not getting it done against the best teams. The the closest level of competition to what you feel your standard is, and they're not getting it done. And that's not how you get into the Champions League. No. Right there. You need to be beating those tough opponents. 
But that's not too dissimilar to what United were dealing with last season, if I remember correctly. United were were beating all of their opponents below them, but couldn't really get over the hump on uh, on their. No, actually, last season it was more the opposite. It was the oh, that's coming right. up short yes. against teams yes. that you should not be, mm-hmm. and then playing really well in those big six games. They loved the the big six games last year, and mm-hmm. uh, it's not been quite as goal filled as last year. But yeah, they've improved on results. I mean, they now I believe share with City the least losses in the league at four, just mm-hmm. nine draws. You, <laughs> that's hurt. That hurts. Nine draws. But, uh, yeah, lots of improvements from United this year. Yeah, what was that statistic that you said earlier, 28 points from losing positions? 28 points from losing positions. That is the most across the big five European leagues. Insane, insane. Uh, but, of course, there was, as I mentioned, some controversy after the game between Ole's and Jose's comments. Uh, Andy, can you help us break down exactly what Jose meant by bread is bread and cheese is cheese? Well, I mean, it just seemed like – Basically, what Oli said is that if he was relating uh, the way that um, Tottenham treated Son, at least the team, you know, they're all sitting there whining to the ref, and he's on the ground apparently hurt. I mean, you know, I think Oli was kind of being sarcastic about it because he kind of was like, I mean, is he really hurt? Is he not? But he said if if Son was really hurt. You know, go over there and take care of your players. Stop whining. And he's like, if I were Jose, you know, I would be out there, you know, taking care of my player if he's hurt. And he's like, son, he said, son is lucky that he has a better father in his life than Jose Mourinho. And I thought that was a little bit of a kind of. No, 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 no. We just, we just jumbled this up. Let's just roll back over this real quick. So, son laid on the ground for three minutes, and all they said, if my son laid on the ground for three minutes and need tens of his, ten of his mates to come get him up, I'm, he's not getting food. So, Jose says, well, Sonny is very lucky to have a better father than Ole. And then that, in end, turned into a deflection trait or a deflection tactic so they could not talk about how dreadful Spurs were, and now it was more about how Ole just said something so completely disrespectful and... Classic Jose. I mean, he took the bait and took all of it. That's that's what he's best at, deflecting, just putting putting the focus on someone else. Uh, but I would be remiss if I didn't put a little bit of focus because David was complaining to me about it last week that we didn't mention Harry Kane at all, so I'll make a short discussion about him. He had uh, three shots over the course of the match. He had a 0.9 XG and Daniel Levy isn't going to let him go to any London or any English club, period. And I believe the statistic that he was saying was he was going to sell him for somewhere around two hundred and forty million. I have a fun Harry Kane statistic. Right. He's twenty eight years old without any medals to his name. I think we are all forgetting the cherished twenty nineteen Audi Cup. Yeah, so anything that means anything, no, nah, it's not there. And also, he'll probably get a medal at the Carabao Cup. Is it going to be the winner's medal? We'll he, see. He already has a Champions League runners-up. That's true. Remember, he one can step add, glory. He can add another medal of, of being a runner-up. I mean, might as well. Might as well. Uh, and then finally, to close out our United-Tottenham talk, uh, we've asked this, many, this question many times on the show before. It's probably not going to change, but I feel like I need to ask it again. Is this just another brick in the Jose out building? Well, I mean, 
I think they're moving in the direction of that right now just because I just don't know how many more losses that Tottenham can take like this against big teams like United, especially United. I mean, you know, I would think Jose would have a chip on his shoulder coming into this game just because of where he came from. And then now that he's back, you know, playing against them, a loss to United was not good. And I don't think that that's going to sit well. I'm not saying they're going to fire him, but I mean, I think we still, like we've been saying, we gotta wait to the end of the season because I don't think they need to be making any rash moves yet just because they're still technically in contention for top four. They're still in contention to win a trophy in the Carabao Cup. So there's still things that they can do to maybe save Jose's job or give him one more year. But I just, I don't know if that's enough with the board. I don't know if it's enough with the fans. So I think they're moving in the direction of getting him out, even if some things go their way. Yeah, uh, I'll be honest. He has to go. He will bring the house down with him. All right, this is uh, an unstable building at the moment. It's the best way I can picture Tottenham. And it is going to crumble down, and it's best to just get it over with quickly. Because at the moment, they don't look like a side that can go forward. Literally on the field, they can't go forward after a certain point. But also, I mean, just generally, I don't think they can take steps forward to become a winning club with a man that is driven to find results the way that he feels necessary instead of kind of building the foundations for something bigger. Lots of that, I'm sure, played into Levy's head at the time. He needed the money. He needed results. And this was a proven winner. But at the moment, it's not looking good. And he had son nearly just in tears yesterday after that game. And that's not, that's a terrible sign. Another thing I'd like to point out too is that I just don't know how much longer, you know, teams can just rely on Jose Mourinho to be their manager because we've seen what he did at United. We're seeing what he's doing at Tottenham. And I'm not saying this that he's not a good coach and that his credentials don't make him, you know, any bit valuable to a team to have, but I think that he lives in the past too much. I mean, this whole special one stuff, maybe that was true when he was at Real Madrid. Maybe that was true when he was at Inter Milan. Because he was winning trophies and he was winning some of the biggest prizes in Europe or in his domestic leagues. But I just don't see the special one at all with him in the last couple of years. I, I really think he lives in the past and he takes his title and his trophies and everything. And he like markets himself to a team like Tottenham, like come hire me. And I just, I think people buy into it. They buy into his lore and his aura that they don't realize what they're actually doing. They're hiring someone who's like in over his head with his ego, egotisticness. Well, at a time, Jose was a charismatic figure. He caught the league by storm in 2004 with everything, the press conference. And let me just let's throw a little nugget back in there. He coined himself a special one. He never said the special one. That was what the British media ran with. And that was a better headline, the special one instead of a special one. But no, the point is, Jose was a charismatic figure. That figure slowly died. I think pieces of it started to die out during that just brutal, emotionally draining time with Real Madrid. And then all the tough times at Chelsea where the things that went wrong seemed to come to head again. 
and at United where the structure and his general attitude was so bad. He's just had such a hard time covering up his feelings. It's not good. He lets everybody know exactly what he's thinking in a time where it's not it's not a great environment to set around you. And these players they need the arm around the shoulder and I'll always I'm com- I just keep coming back to that every season for the last few seasons you just need more Jurgen Klopp's in this game. And guys like Julian Nagelsmann, who just they just relate better with players. They just do better with them, and just the overall attitude of the team is just an it's just so much better. Yeah, it really seems like the game has passed him by. Uh, and now onto a from a team that's on the downswing to a team that's on the upswing. West Ham three, Leicester City two. Jesse Lingard opened the scoring. Twenty ninth minute, scored again in the forty fourth. Jared Bowen scored in the 48th. Leicester had two consolation leg goals, Ian Nacho in the 70th, and then a 91st goal to make it 3-2. Andy Leicester scored too late, but it wasn't enough to win. Yeah, I think Kelechi and Nacho is really showing that he can step up when Jamie Vardy hasn't been producing as much. I know, you know, his injury, he's still trying to work his way back. But, you know, I thought it was unlucky. Leicester looked really good in the second half, but... I thought West Ham, they just started fast. They kept the pedal to the metal. And, I, I mean, Jesse Lingard, I know, you know, United fans are kind of thinking of, you know, everyone's talking about Lingard. And, you know, Harrison, I know we were talking about it earlier. Like, you know, United fans, I guess some would be like, oh, we want him back. But I really think he's thriving under the system that West Ham has put on. I don't think it has anything to do with uh, United or anything like that. I think – what West Ham's doing is just a good place for him to be. And I, I just, I think he's a man in form right now. And I think he, uh, you know, really can serve England well, especially coming into the Euros. And, you know, if he continues this, I, I, I see him in a starting role at West Ham next year. Yeah, the West Ham story continues. And it's kind of short and sweet because it seems to be the same story every week. You have Jesse Lingard performing excellently. And then the guys around him putting in just uh, good performances, enough to be winning in the Premier League because they're so incredibly efficient. Three goals from four shots on target, that is really, really efficient. Jesse Lingard has an XG of 2.8. He's got eight goals. I mean, that's that's fantastic. And Jared Bowen, very consistent performer. Goal and an assist yesterday, absolutely deserved. And a guy that doesn't often... He does, he does show up on the stat sheet more than others, but at West Ham, he does a lot of off-ball work, a hard runner, and a guy that's given everything for the team at all times. And I just think they've got a lot of guys like that in that team. And it's great. It's great to see. But it is, it's a lot of what we say about them every week. And it's really, it's really strong to see these consistent results. But unfortunately, I think the bigger story lies on the other side of the, the spectrum. Brendan Rodgers' disappointment with his players, I'm sure, was unbelievable when you have a critical moment in the season like this to be hosting a party and to jeopardize the team and the environment that you've put yourselves in and it's extremely unprofessional and it's very unfortunate that that had to happen and I think it's it's even worse that Madison allegedly hadn't even watched the match that he had just been excluded from and Leicester just in a really big moment in the season Brendan Rodgers had gathered so much momentum from his his two seasons in the Premier League so far and this is he's in jeopardy of it all falling down again in front of him just like the end of last season and I don't know what they can do at the moment to really turn things around I'm sure maybe the way he seemed it's just going to be brush off the shoulder and 
we're back at it again next week and the squad is everything, but I, I think that's just a really debilitating moment for the squad as a whole to lose that way, to have your one of your best players in the team just show a lack of commitment in such a big moment is really disappointing. Yeah, and this is Leicester's second loss in a row. Uh, they haven't beaten top half opposition since beating Liverpool 3-1 to on February 13th, at least in the league. They did beat Manchester United 3-1 to in the FA Cup quarterfinals. Uh, they still have to play United. They still have to play Chelsea. They still have to play Tottenham this season. It seems like their form is going down, especially with these disciplinary problems. Listen, they've already been dealing with injuries, right? The Harvey Barn injury. Jamie Vardy's had some injuries this season. James Madison has had some injuries this season. Madison, Perez, Chowdhury, all out of the game. Plus, Jamie Vardy in this game, I believe he, he was completely, completely ineffective. Um, Ian Acho stepped up big time, right? Six shots, uh, two goals, had an XG of 0.7, scored two goals. Jamie Vardy, on the other hand, Leicester's top scorer out of the past 100 seasons, it feels like. Um, two shots, right? Two shots, um, 0.09 XG. This is similar. This is the, the same numbers that we're seeing with Harry Kane in this game. And I'm just thinking, Andy, Leicester... Leicester are at risk of falling out of the top four. Yeah, I think they're, they're the team that I pointed out early that would probably have the biggest chance to fall out of the top four. Because, I mean, I know, you know, I've been saying West Ham is going to make it, and I think Chelsea's going to make it too. But I just think, I just think Leicester's destined, it's going to happen. I just don't think they have enough again. Just like last year, they deteriorated late in the year, and then they had to play. Manchester United last year in what seemed like a cup final to get to the top four and they failed to win and it's just I don't think that they have enough and really it's some of its injuries but some of it's just their lack in form and they haven't been you know getting the results that they need against top opponents to you know stay in the top four so yeah I think they're gonna crash eventually we just you know we'll see if they can somehow pull it together but right now they're in the danger zone. Yeah, last season it was after Liverpool blew them away 4-0 on Boxing Day. They were in, uh, I believe, top two, top three, and they just slipped away. And it seems like it might be a bit later in the season, but that same thing is happening. But let's go back to the winners of this match, right? Jesse Lingard's impact cannot be understated. Eight goals, more than Jack Grealish this season in half the appearances. Jack Grealish has six goals. Uh, He has been injured for a time, but still incredibly impressive. Um, Jack Grealish was, of course, a, a bit. There was some criticism for Gareth Southgate and the England squad about Jack Grealish supposedly being snubbed after his incredible eighteen nineteen season. Uh, Let do, me stop do, you. Let me stop you here. The Lingard yeah. and Jack Grealish thing. It's a. It's a non-factor. Mm-hmm. It's a non-factor. His midfield mm-hmm. selection is fairly obvious. He. He doesn't like. He likes risk-averse players, in my opinion. He likes Grealish as an impact sub, but he'll never start him. Mm-hmm. He doesn't. He doesn't like the idea of starting him just generally, and I, I can tell that by the way he uses him. Um, is rather experimental every time he took the field, and that's very telling. I mean, he prefers Mount, somebody who works harder. He is capable of moments of brilliance, and it's it just it's the way he functions, and he prefers that, and that's why that's why if you, even if you love Jude Bellingham, which uh, I'm sure all of us do, and he is a, a brilliant midfielder, I just think that he prefers a guy like James Ward-Prowse. Who knows what he's going to get? Hard work, the good, positive, normal, good ball retention, all that. 
Declan Rice as well. Just those kinds of midfielders. I think Lingard is a non-factor in the England squad. I think Grealish is a factor to an extent, but never, never to battle for a starting 11 spot, barring an injury at that midfield position or possibly on the left wing, maybe. I just uh, I don't see that being a problem. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This win also propels West Ham into fourth place. The last time West Ham played in Europe uh, was during the 15-16 season Europa League where they lost in the qualifying round to Astra Gheorghiu from Romania, I believe. Uh, do we think this team is ready for European action? Absolutely not. They'll get smoked, and I'll feel really bad for them. But, hey, it's a lot of money, and they can build positively with it, maybe toss some money to the academy. But, no, this team will get absolutely I, – I mean, it'll be bad. And I I think that it won't be damaging experience because at West Ham, I, I don't imagine they're going to be crazy, crazy high on confidence, more like just playing with house money and being in a competition. They know they – really can't win but yeah it's a good step for the club as a whole and it's a good opportunity for some West Ham fans of a new generation to experience a European night maybe a big random win but no the big picture not nothing's gonna go well a blunt answer I like it Uh, moving on to one of the other big matches of the weekend the Giants the future uh, 2020 2021 Premier League champions Manchester City falling to Marcelo Bielsa and Leeds United 2 to 1. Andy, I said this stat 100 times on uh on, on Saturday, but I'm going to say it again. Leeds two shots, two goals. <sighs> well, honestly, I feel like if we if I could put this game into any perspective, I think City are experiencing some problems that they had uh, last season, especially in Champions League, that I'm starting to see happen again. Um, and it's concerning for Wednesday. Uh, I I hope it doesn't happen again where, you know. We hope it does. Uh, well, you, of course you hope it does. But There's a certain Norwegian named Erling Holland that has City's number. Yeah, there is. But he, did he have any effect on last week's game? No, he didn't. But, I mean, he did get an assist to Marco Royce, but that was good. But, okay, back to the point, though. It's just City, I see, you know, it's the same thing. Dominate possession, be really aggressive, create a lot of chances, but there's no scoring. There's no putting away, you know, easy finishes. I mean, I was so frustrated watching it because – there were like six or seven chances that it just seems like City would put a shot in and it would just get blocked by the defender or the goalkeeper. And it's just like nothing was going in. And finally, City got a goal after the Stuart Dallas you know, strike, and I thought that was a great goal. But that late counter that they had that Dallas got in and you know scored an easy goal, I just thought that's another example of how City, you know, they – they, they play a dangerous game of pressing so high and then getting caught out on the break because, you know, they're pushing so far up the field. And I haven't seen City get caught out like that. That's been – that was kind of one of the biggest things. I was just sitting there like, I haven't seen a counterattack goal in a long time from a team against our defense. I mean, it may be probably since last 
last fall, maybe, in one of those games, maybe against Tottenham or whoever. I just haven't seen a, a, a time where City just got caught out like that on the break. But it was a good goal, and I thought you know Leeds deserved it, even though it was two shots and and two on goal. And, I, I mean, it's no other way to describe it. But, I mean, maybe you could say it's unusual, but it worked. Yeah, I'm looking at um, the starting lineup for the City-Leeds game and the starting lineup for the City-Dortmund game. And I believe there are only oh, three three players who started both games for City. Ederson, Cancelo, and John Stones. Mm-hmm. Um, I know Pep gave a quote a couple weeks ago that, oh, if I rotate and it works, everyone praises me. But if I rotate and it doesn't work then uh, I get all this hate. Do you think it comes down to rotation in this instance? I mean, we're, we're looking at the return of Nathan Ake. Joe Cancelo's playing on the opposite side. Mendy's in this game. What are you thinking? Yeah, I, I think it has a little bit to do with the rotation. Um, I was not really pleased to see uh, Gabriel Jesus and um, Sterling and Bernardo Silva out there just because I knew some of them had played in Champions League. But... I was kind of wondering why Riyad Mahrez is not starting on on the left, or I mean on the right, excuse me, but I just, I don't understand, you know, why that he, he put that front three. I understand Jesus, you need a striker at some point, so he's got to play the role that Aguero would normally play. And Sterling's fine, you know, he hadn't played in Champions League, and, you know, he probably won't play Wednesday just because I, I feel like Foden and Bernardo Silva and Mares will probably be out there, um, was what I'm thinking. Sterling could play a role, but I don't think he will because he didn't play the first game. Um, but yeah, I think to your point, the rotation, I think it works in some points just to give people rest so that way we have a fresh squad going into a game, especially if it's a midweek game. But I don't think that it helps chemistry because I see a lot of teams you know, have – guys that are playing all the time with each other and like sure it can lead to injuries i get that but i don't think that it builds team chemistry up very well where you know you have an understanding of guys like you know i think for example like jesus he plays with a different front three every time and i i don't think that that helps uh going down the stretch because you know you're not playing with guys all the time and creating that team chemistry if you know what i'm saying yeah, and then also, I mean, Manchester City had 27 shots, mm-hmm. seven on target. She couldn't put it away. Uh, I mean, Harrison, do you think this team has anything to, to fear going into a midweek game against Dortmund? No, these are the kinds of games and the results that you get with City at times. It's, it is about volume of chances, and they do create a lot, but a lot of the time they don't finish them because they don't have the clinical enough finishers. And this is just the kind of result you get with City at sometimes. I don't think it's anything to panic about. I think they still have the edge over a Dortmund team that can't defend for their life, and... I think their biggest test will be whoever comes out of the other Champions League tie on their side of the bracket. And then moving on to another 2-1 to one game. This feels like the return of the 2019-2020 uh, Liverpool side that would always find a way at the end of matches. Always finding a way. 2-1, to one, Liverpool 2, Aston Villa 1. Uh, of course, the first goal was well the first goal that almost was a goal offsides uh bit tight drawing lines classic we all hate it it should be changed moving on Mo Salah scoring um 
Ollie Watkins, was, of course, scored the first one, got through Cabak and Phillips into the space. A lot of people put the blame on Allison. It maybe should have been a shot that he, he could have controlled better, but I think Cabak kind of kind of let him in. Ollie Watkins was good to find the space, but Cabak can't be defending from the outside. He's got to be defending the inside channel. Uh, Mo Salah tied it up, and then in the 91st minute in front of Gareth Southgate in the crowd, Trent Alexander-Arnold, he's been watching too many Coutinho highlights, strikes it from outside the box, goal, 2-1. to one. Um, Yeah, to burst your bubble really quick, he had also been done twice in the final 10 minutes of the game before that. Just the, the point still being proven despite the brilliant strike. The defensive woes were as clear as day, not only in that game, but... We all know what happened last Tuesday. Okay, we're going to get into this. All right. So I do not put the blame on – we were going to cover this in the Champions League chat, but I'm, I'm going to talk about it now. I'm not going to put the blame on the the fullbacks or the centerbacks for the first two goals. I Because Trent and Robbo are doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing, right? They're supposed to be playing high. They're supposed to be supplying those outside channels. They're supposed to be crossing the ball. They're supposed to be providing the attack. Nat Phillips and Kabak, their job is to win those aerial duels from those balls that are going to be attempted to be played in behind through the space. On both of those long balls by Tony Kroos, he is in absolute, in his own half. Tony Kroos was in Real Madrid's own half. He was in acres of space. And I'm going to put that down to Naby Keita returning after two months of not starting a game and not being fully match fit. Um, I do think that it had been said that he had had some impressive trainings and that Klopp couldn't justify leaving him on the bench because he looked so good in training, but looking good in training and playing well in a match are two completely separate things. And we saw that when he got subbed off in like the 43rd minute. If Klopp really thought that he could make it until halftime to make a substitution, he would. But he thought at this moment in time, I need to make a sub now or else we are going to Liverpool are going to go down by more goals. So he made the sub there, put in Tiago. Tiago's probably going to start on Wednesday. Um, and I also put it down to Firmino not starting. Uh, you looked like you were going to murder me last week when I said that I wanted Firmino to start, but this was exactly what I was talking about. He is an absolute pressing machine. And if Firmino was on the pitch, Tony Kroos wouldn't have been afforded that space because Firmino would have been pressing in those areas. Areas. Uh, because Diogo Jato is on the pitch, then Sadio Mane has to play in the middle. And Sadio plays more of a striker role when he's in the middle than a uh, than a false nine presser. And Bobby's the presser. And because he wasn't on the pitch, Kroos was afforded those acres of space. And there was, there was also hardly any link-up between the midfield and Diogo Jata and Mo Salah. That's why there were almost no attempts for Liverpool in the first half is because they just weren't getting any balls supplied to them. So that's that's what I put it down to. Yeah, all right. Well, all of that aside, um, anybody who wants to go to YouTube, look it up. Just watch how Trent Alexander-Arnold approaches, approaches his wingers. And let, let me just say this beforehand. He's going to be under a microscope that's really unfair. It's extraordinarily unfair because we're talking about a guy who's been the face of a really successful Liverpool team for two to three years now. Really effective, brilliant talent, and... It was ignored that he was a weak point in a team that had won the, cha- the, cha- the Champions League as well as the Premier League. 
he was a weak point, and that's that's just the simple fact of the matter. That was the place where people felt that they could attack. The Klopp felt it was it was a weakness enough to where he would task Henderson with covering that space in behind, because Trent's just not as intense about his defending as he is going forward. It's just it's this general approach. Go watch him approach the wingers on the wing. He does not get down and his bend his knees. Oftentimes he can be misfoot easily and just leave that dangling leg. I saw it with Vinicius several times. It's just it's it's unfair, but we're gonna watch him like this now. We have to, because Southgate has has left him out at a huge time, and this was big. This Southgate's a very calculated man. He's very good with his relationships. He knows what he's doing here. This was either the attempt to light a fire under Trent, or this was him genuinely saying, "I have to be as as safe as I possibly can," and Reese James's frame makes him a better defender than somebody who doesn't exactly take their defending as seriously as they do going forward. All I got to say is that Trent can kick with his feet, but he can't defend with his feet. That's it? That's all you got to say? That's it. That's all, that's all that's you all have? That's all I got to say. That's all you have? That's Were you reading that off your phone? No. I came up with that in you my own head. Came up, okay. Big brains. Thank you for your expert analysis on the subject. Thank I, you. I are, we, are, we st- are we covering the Champions League tie now as a whole? Are we doing that? We, we can do that. We can move on. Of course, uh, I guess since we're already on the topic of Liverpool, we'll just start with that then. Uh, Real Madrid beat Liverpool 3-1. to one. Uh, Goals came from Vinicius. Vinicius Jr., excuse oh, me. Vinicius. Fine, fine. Use your words, Chris. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Goals came from... Junior and Marco Asensio, right? And then Mohamed Salah came back. So great, great header from Trent. Excellent. That was nice. Um, but okay. Okay. let's do this real quick. He was in. He, that's, a, the Madrid. that's a tough position. Let's to do be the Madrid. In. Well, that's yeah. down to Nabiqueta. And I, that's honestly, right. And we I haven't I, seen I footage. My point we it. haven't seen the footage of that very moment. But I imagine Jurgen was as bright red as you could possibly be mm. watching that back with Keita just jogging next to, Ke- uh, to Cruz as that happened. But that and Gini Wijnaldum being completely static on the third goal. Uh, I saw a video on Twitter earlier today where it uh, said DualShock disconnected and Gini's just standing there on the edge of the box while um, uh, I think Modric just dribbles right in and passes it to uh, Vinicius for the third goal. All right, well, we can just briefly touch on this because I know we still have a couple of Premier League teams to discuss, um, the bigger ones. But just real quick, Lucas Vasquez is done for the rest of the season. Fede Valverde came off limping at the end of the game. So he is a questionable just to even show up. This is huge for Casemiro. Liverpool are probably going to set on the front foot. I don't really think Klopp will be... He'll be calculated, obviously, because this is a huge, uh, big occasion. But I think he'll be front foot, and I think that that might play into Real Madrid's hands. And I really think that if they can hold their own for 60 minutes and bring in Fede Valverde, they can really probably give him a gut punch and put it 4-1 at some point late. But uh, that would take some excellent defending from them because I know Liverpool are going to be a threat. They're absolutely going to be a threat. Liverpool need to score in the first 20 minutes of this game. It's something that Liverpool, I think, in their last... 10 games or so, correct me if I'm wrong, have only scored, in all competitions, have only scored once in the first half, and that was against Wolves. I know that's at, at least in the Premier League. But Liverpool have to play a full 90 minutes. They can't just rely on 45. I, I genuinely think that it was possible Liverpool could have made it 2-2 uh, if they had maybe put away some a, a, a chance. 
um, early in the second half against Real Madrid, but they have to play a full 90 minutes, right? Um, in in the second leg against Barcelona, Divac Origi scores in the first 10 minutes of the game, lifts the spirits inside Anfield. Of course, there aren't going to be any fans in the stadium, so that's going to be a huge, huge hindrance uh, to this team that thrives off the passion of the supporters. So they're going to have to they're going to have to light that fire within themselves and. I think it's very possible that they can do that if they score early. I think you start off with Diogo, you start off with Firmino, and you start off with Salah in the front. Um, I would I would wager to say if Curtis Jones wasn't injured, this might be a game where you start him because he's got that energy, he's got that fire, uh, and that's what that's what you need in this game. I also think definitely start Thiago, definitely start Fabinho, and uh, James Milner over over genie just because james milner is that voice on the pitch and you're going to need a loud voice on the pitch and jordan henderson of course injured during the everton game he's been a huge miss for this team recently and you're going to need a player who can be vocal on the pitch and i don't see genie being that vocal as much as you need ball retention i i see james being more of an asset in this game yeah i think the midfield is the key to this game for both teams. I mean, you know, we saw Tony Kroos pretty much slice up uh, Liverpool's defense last time. And I I think the biggest key for both sides is who wins the battle uh, with winning balls up the, up the field, you know, who's making passes, making and creating dangerous uh, chances. And I just, I think Real Madrid did more of that in game one. Now, can Liverpool do that? Yes, they can. You you mentioned they are missing people, and I think Liverpool, you know, will it will hinder them. But they still have a team that will really be attacking, and I think just shutting down Crows, shutting down Casemiro, and stopping Modric are the the biggest key to getting a win. Uh, and that battle in the midfield will be crucial. And we are running low on time, so we're gonna try and talk about the other big games. Let me quickly yeah. throw on my Captain America shield here because we can cover the Champions League and the Premier League really quick like this. Christian, Captain America, Pulisic with two goals at the weekend. This is a big moment, mm-hmm. quietly, okay? This, mm-hmm. is the, this is the least headlining tie in the Champions League, obviously. But this is a big subplot for us American fans here. This is, Especially this is a with really the, strong performance. Yeah, This yeah. was a nice moment, and, you know, he did it last year. He scored there. Does he start against Porto? Does Tuchel make that call? He just got the best out of Kai Havertz. Absolutely best. Best performance from Kai Havertz all season. He got a goal. Yeah, and he was really good with the movement. He looked like a big, a really nice functioning part of that team, not like somebody who didn't belong. This is a really solid moment for Pulisic. This is going to see how much, how much Tuchel believes in him in a crucial moment in the season. And I think we just need to watch out for that starting lineup. Yeah, it was there was especially some controversy earlier on because we've been critical about Tuchel's choosing or rather lack thereof choosing of Christian Pulisic in his starting lineups, but it seems like he might be putting a bit more faith. Of course, Chelsea 2-0 over Porto, both goals away goals. Could be a big game. Um, and then also probably the biggest game in the Champions League, at least in this tie, uh, in this round, Bayern Munich to PSG three PSG scoring three away goals Mbappe counterattack what more do I need to say he's the best in the world I mean there's just not a guy besides Holland maybe who's playing just out of his mind and 
I think Mbappe, you could say right now, just out based off form and just the way he's going, I think he's the best player in the world right now. I, I, I don't think you can really argue with that. I mean, you can throw guys out there who are playing really well, but <laughs> John Joe Shelby. Oh my <clears throat> God. Um, no, Mbappe is playing out of his mind. I think he is the key to this. I mean, he had two great goals. I, I just expect more from him. I, I think they put this away and go ahead and finish Bayern Munich off. I think the injuries are uh, for Bayern are really setting them back. They just didn't have what it took to defend well. And their offense, I mean, although they got two goals, Lewandowski being out is just not going to help them at all. And I think that that is a crucial uh, miss. But also they're missing guys like Gnabry, and um, now it looks like they're going to be missing Kingsley Coman. So I just don't know what Bayern's going to do to win this game. Yeah, I don't know what Bayern can do to win this game. I think that PSG have too much going forward, and there were just too many clear-cut. That the, the opportunities that PSG got, there were not tons, but they were so clear-cut, and you give players of the level of Neymar and Mbappe those opportunities, you just shot yourself in the foot, and Neymar had a week to prepare for this. He didn't play at Strasbourg at the weekend. He was suspended, so he'll be as fit as he possibly could be and looking to take this tie by the reins. Yeah, PSG scored three goals in only six shots. Five of those were on target. Um, incredibly high uh, conversion rate. Whereas, I mean, Bayern really struggling with the loss of Lewandowski. 31 shots, 12 on target, could not finish it. And if you don't have a finisher, you can't score goals. Um, and then finally, our last game in the Champions League. Manchester City, Dorman already touched on this a bit earlier. Manchester City, of course, losing during the midweek. Uh, Dortmund, I believe, coming back and winning their game. Did they not do that? They did. They, they did. did. Yeah, they did. I think it's pretty quick. This is pretty simple. We can imagine up in, a, in our world of, narr- of just football narrative where life is perfect and everything can be written in a book nicely, but Dortmund – I don't think they'll be able to handle this. This is going to come down to do City shoot themselves in the foot. It's the only way I can see them losing this. Dortmund can't take it to them. If they sniff out a little blood when City find they find some space on a counterattack and they can just build some momentum late in the game, but this is this is a 90 minutes that is going to be absolutely just the most mentally debilitating 90 minutes that Dortmund can take. And they haven't showed to be strong mentally in their biggest games so I don't like this for them and I think that City will will be waltzing into a semi-final against PSG I totally agree I think City can't sit back it's a it's a game like I talked about where they're gonna pay like Harrison said if they don't score you know at least two goals I think two goals would put it away absolutely they just got to control the midfield like they did. Don't give Holland space. You know, don't let them in, get in behind. And I think City can do it. I am confident, but very cautious because I know how good Dortmund can be if you allow them some space. Confident but cautious. I like that. Well, we're going to get into our final segment, the predictions. Uh, current standings, David is in last with 18 points. Harrison is in third with 20. Andy in second with 23. And I'm currently sitting in first with 25 points. So I'll start with uh, David's predictions, and then I'll go into my own. David has picked uh, Liverpool to go over Leeds United. Of course, there was that tight 
game, first game of the season, 4-3. to three, A couple errors led to Leeds goals. A couple penalties led to Liverpool's goals. So Leeds coming off that 2-1 against Manchester City. So you're telling me you were letting goals in before Van Dyke got hurt. <laughs> okay. Anyway. Okay. We can... There was some communication issues there. We we talked about that a long time ago. But um, at least Liverpool could see out games at Anfield at that point in time. Uh, and then uh, he also picked Chelsea over Brighton. Uh, I think that's pretty clear cut. Unless Brighton can actually play up to their standards. They had, you know... Come on, don't downplay the XG Warriors. <laughs> fifth place, I believe they still are. Uh, at the moment, after the nil-nil against Everton in that horrible, horrible game that we did not discuss at all because there was no need in mentioning it. Uh, now on to my predictions. I'm going to be picking, as I always do, the team that plays Sheffield United, and that is Wolves this week. This is the week. Sheffield United finally get relegated. They're gone. They're out of here. It's done. Uh, and then I will also be taking, because I will have to take them at some point during the season, I'll be taking Manchester United to beat Burnley. So, uh, Andy, on to you. I am going to go with Newcastle United over West Ham because I kind of really have no choice for this weekend. Uh, I would like to see a draw happen or a West Ham win, unfortunately, but you know what? Sometimes you just got to go with stuff you, that you don't want to happen, but we'll just we'll go with Newcastle. That's kind of a bite-the-bullet one. Uh, and then the next game, I'm going to go with Arsenal over Fulham. I think Arsenal's in, on a roll and will continue their winning ways. And then, Harrison, I won't forget about you like David did last week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I t- I'm taking the same as Andy. I have Newcastle over West Ham, and I have Arsenal over Fulham. All right. Well, that does it for us this week. Uh, stay tuned for our final full panel episode next week everyone will be in the studio uh, so that'll be a good one and we'll see you then thanks for listening to this week's episode of stoppage time you can follow us on instagram at stoppage time 91.1 for news updates and more be sure to tune in next week for another great episode on spotify apple music youtube or wherever you listen to podcasts